but we could definitely do that one. We're okay. definitely going to do it. We're doing all three of these. Oh, okay. um, but we're just, just going to figure out whether which, today or tomorrow. Which which one you do first? Which one we do second? Mm-hmm. Which one we wait for tomorrow? Like I said, the consulting advice one might. Why don't we start thing. with that? Because it might spark some. Well, especially you guys some stuff for the, the second one especially you guys are like in the middle of like thinking about your brand so like you're you're at like second base with it i think it's a good yeah. one well yeah. we're running to first <laughs> <laughs> as a part of producing the show we get lots of random emails and most of the time, it's people that want recommendations for visiting Kentucky. And if you're going to come, just make sure you go and check out our Yelp list for all the recommendations of places to dine and do things while you're in Louisville. But every once in a while, we get questions where people need our advice. And this could be from brands or individuals out there just wanting to break into the bourbon industry. So I thought, how great would it be to have an episode where we give free consultation advice? And in this episode... We give our advice on sourcing, blending, and social media strategies. So stay tuned as you get to hear the Bourbon Pursuit team answer your questions about the whiskey business. So enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Christian Madsen, who writes on fredminnick.com. Has anyone ever experimented with stainless steel barrels and adding staves to get the approximate same surface area of contact with the juice? Christian, that's a great question, and I will just kind of throw it back at you. First of all, yes, people have done that. Uh, There have been a lot of uh, staves introduced in the stainless steel process. They're not always introduced into the actual barrel, but I think this is something that's very, very dangerous. You're looking at opening the door for a lot of gimmicks, a lot of things that bourbon distillers have been trying to protect against for 150 years, and that is people, you know, making false claims and doing shenanigans with with wood chips. A lot of this, like, stave finishing, it's kind of not bourbon. You know, it's not kind of not bourbon. It's not bourbon. It's a whiskey, but it is it's dangerous in the sense that it starts tooling around a little bit with what can be done with the name bourbon on the label. Remember, bourbon is a federally protected term. And once something else enters the liquid uh, outside of the barrel, and once it leaves the barrel, I mean, it's it's no longer bourbon. And so like there's this whole thing, bourbon finished with X stave, bourbon finished in X barrel. And while that may be true, those finishes are still under classifications of called distilled spirit specialty. The The bigger issue at hand is is the definitions and the labeling and all that versus the creation of the whiskey. Now, the federal government is working on getting those where they have their own definition. But, you know, to answer your question, yes, people are doing it. I'm, I'm a fan of experimentation and a fan of of really putting a lot of effort into these uh, stave finishes. I just want to keep the name bourbon off of the label and just call it a whiskey on the front label. You can say it's formerly a bourbon finished in XXX on the uh, on the back label. So you just, that's the purest in me, you know, so just wanted to cover that. But, you know, that stuff is happening. You're going to start seeing more of it, but I don't think it's because of a barrel shortage. I think it's because people are trying to find cost-effective ways to get interesting flavors 
in your whiskey bottle. And that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you want to be like Christian Matson, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Hit the contact button. Let me know your uh, question. And if I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 from their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. And this one, we looked to you. But first off, I want to say we have the whole gang here today. So we got Ryan. Hello, guys. Hello. And Fred back. What up? And we're going to have a good conversation because I look to you as an audience. I put that on Instagram and I said, we're going to give free consultation advice. And this was something that I looked at it as a way because we see there's all kinds of people out there that we've had them on the show before. They're they're mm-hmm. brand builders. They they do consultation as they're living. And I said, you know, we've seen this happen before. We've gotten emails that said, I had this whole business strategy. Then I listened to something you all said, and I I adapted it. Or I changed it. I pivoted. I did something because of what they learned on the podcast. And I said, that's a great idea. Let's go ahead and take some questions from the other people that are starting brands. Maybe they want to start brands in consumers out there of what they think and we'll just kind of go and like see where this takes us yeah. and we'll just give some free consulting advice of what it looks like i think it'd be fun because uh i mean even though we are tater podcasters that don't know what we're doing we have interviewed and met with some of the 
sharp as greatest minds in the bourbon industry. And we've learned what hasn't worked, what works, what people should be thinking. And so I'm glad to do a brain dump this morning of everything I've learned from all the great guests we've had. And you all too also have a brand. And we have a brand we're you going through too. Yep. Um, one thing that I, I have, I have like, I've seen like history of like things play out of like what works well and what doesn't. And what's interesting today is that you, you can't apply uh, business principles. You know, if you started a brand in like 1995, you were essentially applying business principles from 1950. You're applying very similar <laughs> business principles. Today, it's a whole new world and there's so many new opportunities for someone to come out. And challenges. Uh, with a brand. Yeah, definitely some challenges. But what we have today, if you're starting a brand that you did not have in 1995, you have an eager fan base of whiskey drinkers ready to buy the next bottle. You have an eager fan base, but you also have this idea of people think it's a, a big gold rush right now. Like, let's get in, let's buy stuff, let's figure it out. We'll we'll get there, but it's, it's not as easy as we've said before. It's you're just buying some barrels and putting in a bottle. There's a huge process behind it. And there's ways that you need to figure out, well, how do we take care of this from a, a marketing standpoint? How do you take care of distribution uh, and all that sort of stuff? So financial road mapping, planning, forecasting, <laughs> all that sort <laughs> of thing. Not getting paid by people, <laughs> <laughs> collections. There's, 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 there's the highs and the lows. But yeah. let's go ahead and do our first question. So this one comes from Phil Brandon of Rocktown Distillery. And he says, I've been distilling for 12 years and I've won major awards for my bourbon and sell all that we make. However, should I buy more stills to expand production or source new make from Kentucky distilleries? Well, that's a great question. I would ask myself, so obviously what are my goals? And in, in my, you know, I think you said he's in Philadelphia. Ar uh, he's Arkansas. Arkansas. Gosh, yeah. why did I think Philadelphia? I don't, how'd I hear that? But yeah, Rock, Rocktown has been around for a while. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're winning your yard and you're content with that and you're happy and that your customers are happy, I would continue just doing what you do. But if your goal is to kind of get outside of, you know, that Arkansas area and push beyond your audience you have now, sourcing is going to be a great option for you because you're going to have product that's going to be, maybe it's not ready of age yet, but it's going to be faster than waiting on yourself to get a still made and waiting for all that whole process to get going that you're probably two to three years for that to happen. And so uh, I would just look at my goals and say, how, how content am I with my current audience? Do I really want to expand this outside of that? And who am I trying to appeal to? And Kentucky bourbon's always going to appeal to bourbon drinkers, but also too, you know, if you're, if you're have a great product and it's unique, the Arkansas product would be great as well. So I don't know that it's hard to know without knowing his uh, end goal there. So, you know, what's interesting here about this is we have a question here from an A-list craft distiller. Like this is an yeah. a, this is an A-list craft distiller. You know, he has bottled and bond bourbon out there. He has uh, super fans. He has people who carries his torch in our community and, and like social media circles. And, you know, I hear this all the time from craft distillers and it pains them. It pains them to see a source bottle outsell theirs and there's there is a an incredible hurt from distillers like phil when they see that and i think what that question is alluding to it's not about scale it's not about creating something unique he is just trying to get his his whiskey on the same playing field as just pick a random mgp or barton source product that's on the shelf selling for 60 bucks He's trying to get that same 
level. And obviously there's a lot that goes in there. And I'll push back to feel and say like, I don't think you should ever doubt yourself as a distiller. I've tasted a lot of your stuff over the years. Have I reviewed everything favorably? Absolutely not. But I've not reviewed it, anybody's, you know, 100% favorably. But you have won numerous competitions in blind tastings. Some of my colleagues have given you incredibly high scores. And I and I think too, you you have a you have a group of consumers in Arkansas who want to support you. And I would say grow that base. Do whatever you can to super serve Arkansas consumers and stop worrying about the source product. And so like if you have the money, if you have the ability to up upgrade your equipment to to increase capacity. I'm putting my vote for that because I think the world needs a lot more Arkansas bourbon and more states like Arkansas with with lead distillers competing at the highest levels than we need another contract distilled Kentucky product. Well, That's see, me is good. Fred knew knew the brand. I did not know the brand, so it's hard for me to understand the goals. But I, I totally agree with you, Fred. It's like Seth Godin's a great marketing genius, and he always says like have this win the most smallest viable audience and have like super fans, you know, that, and just cater to them and then just keep catering to them. And that's, you know, be true to yourself. You don't have to, you don't have to be on the same level as all the bigger brands, you know? And you know who did the best job of that I've ever seen? New Riff. New Riff. As soon as they came out, before they had a drop of bourbon on the market, they created like, what was the Ranger Club? Mm-hmm. Yep. The sure new, they, they created that before anything. And they were basically selling futures. And... I thought it was, I was like, this was 2013 or 14. <laughs> like, they're doomed to fail. I was like, this is nuts, Mark. Like, here I am, like this newly minted author walking around, like, I know everything, right? You know, and, and boy, you know, did they nail a home run with that. And I've seen, I've seen brands do this. And they're, I think the winning ticket for someone like Rocktown is to really focus on who you are, like Leopold Brothers. They focused on who they are, and they created a fan base immediately in Colorado. And it grew out. You know, Arkansas has a fan base ready to be activated, and I know that Phil is tapping into that. I'm glad he asked that question because I want him to believe in himself, and I want him to know that what he is doing is getting those awards and, and, and winning critics for a reason. And just follow that. Yeah. Follow that. I would take a page out of the beer world too. It's like, you know, you have all these craft breweries in small, you know, in individual towns and they all have their style and their town and that's their market, their niche. You know, they don't have to be Sam Adams or Coors or all the Blue Moons or whatever. Just like we think, I I think American whiskey as a whole category is going to, it's not not Kentucky bourbon that's going to be growing. And so if you're like, the best Arkansas distiller and you're known as that, you can take that places, you know, way further than just being another source brand out there. I'm glad you both brought that up because I feel that you're you're both correct. And first, Ryan, you had mentioned before, like you have to figure out what your goal is. Is your goal scale? Like if your goal is scale, you might you're you're really between a rock and a hard place right there, only because to be able to invest into the, the business, to be able to do all that, yes, you're getting on a waiting list for years to be able to get a new still from Ben Dome or whomever it is versus talking to somebody else. I'm like, okay, well, I can get Kentucky Source product on the market here in the next two to three years and I can just start getting money in the door. However, I really liked Fred's answer and this is kind of what I look at as well. 
that you're going to start diminishing the value of your brand. So if you've owned your backyard and you've said, I've created a stable product, I'm already selling. If he says he's already selling out of it, why change the recipe? Like why change what's, what's working? Like continue doing that and then figure out how to scale. So I would say start slowly figuring out, do we, am I at a hundred percent of my still time already? Can I add more fermenters? Do I add a, a second, a third shift to be able to crank this thing going as much as I possibly can to crank out basically to max this out at, at 90 to hundred percent of, of utilization. And then from there, I'll figure out, well, then what do I do? Now I have to start reinvesting back into it. Do I do a second distillery? Do I add a second still? And I love Is your point too, Is there somebody contract is still in the state board that also might be interested to help fund this too? With that too. But the other thing you said, kind of like owning your backyard, you know, you look at Texas. Texas is like one of those great markets where there's a few different distilleries that they really own and people are proud about Texas whiskey and they go and they drink it and they have allegiance to what they are, are drink or what they're drinking and, and that particular product. And so I feel that we're, we're all kind of right in the fact that you need to kind of just put your stake in the ground and say, I want to make the best whiskey in my home state and people will gravitate towards it because people yeah. are, people are proud about where they're from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look at our relationship with Finger Lakes because they're, you know, in a very small community, but they are who they are and they're, they're not changing that and they're not sourcing. They're just who are they are. And people love that, you know, and I, I would say take a playbook from, you know, Finger Lakes and look at what they've been doing and what their plans are to continue to do. So, and if you would have asked me, if you'd asked me to put together a list of like 25 most successful craft whiskey distillers, I mean, Rocktown would have been on my list. And the one thing that is shifting a little bit is there is, um, the market is demanding a lot more blends. You all are certainly a part of that conversation. So if you're wanting to create like a new limited edition offering or something, you know, a little different to add some product offerings in, in your portfolio, maybe you do uh, a, a Kentucky, Arkansas blend of straights. I mean, there could be something there, but I don't think you you go back to the drawing board and you start over. Because what you've been doing, it's, it's been working. I know it's been slow. I know you've been doing this since uh, I think Phil founded Rocktown in 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. And I, I know it's it's not an overnight su- success. These things never are. I mean, you're right also. that I really like your idea too, because there was something, I think it came out last year at some point where a few different craft distilleries all came together and they donated a barrel or two and they came out with this bespoke blend and they used that. I think they were doing that more for a charitable aspect, Mm -hmm. but I think that's something that is certainly untapped in the market where craft distilleries have an opportunity to work together more than what you've seen any in the big boy industry, because they don't, everybody's kind of frenemies at the end of the day, right? They- they're all friends, but they're all competing against each other versus in the craft distiller market. If you're in Arkansas, you're not competing with people maybe in California or Idaho or New York or whatever it is. So there's an opportunity to be able to sit there and do collaboration on a different level where you yeah. all can kind of like bring those in and kind of promote each other's brands at the same exact time in different markets. Yep. I like it. Yeah, his, I mean, it's his name is Phil. That's where I got Philadelphia from. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? That, that makes sense. Yeah, it it does, especially given that none of us got sleep last night. I know. So. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I, I think that was a really good question and kind of figuring out exactly what do you do? What's sort of that next phase? Starting, because starting with like a, an A list or two in the craft community, this is whew, I know, I know, a good one. But that's a, that's a great question. Appreciate it, Phil. So let's kind of go on to the next one. So this one comes from Jason Miller. He says it's probably a very complex question, but he says I'm looking at blending and creating a business based on blending. What are some of the beginning steps in this process, and any resources to look into before I start throwing down large sums of money down the drain? Well, I, I guess in the process of acquiring the juice or acquiring how to learn how to blend or everything, uh, everything. I think let's just take it yeah. from an everything standpoint. Well, obviously, he's probably not a distiller or has, so you're going to have to start making calls to find out what's available for you to start blending with. What do you want to be? Do you want to do something like, oh, I love craft whiskeys. You know, I think it'd be fun to blend those together. Or I really love Kentucky bourbons or I love Indiana bourbons or rise or this or that you need to really figure out which direction you're going to go and then from there you're going to pick up pick up the phone make calls and say hey i want to try your products let me walk through your mash bills this and that what do you have available it's ready to bottle now what do you have yeah, that's, that's ready that's the first up? that's really the first conversation to have is what can i get my hands on right before you even figure out how to start blending yeah and so that's kind of you have to narrow that down to like okay what's going to be my unique offering do i think i'm the best at blending the different mgp mash bills do i think i'm the best like you know some of the source kentucky or do i want to go out on a limb and try blending from different distilleries from different states and then that's going to be your biggest hurdle because right now that's the toughest part we're all even us you know, we've had been in this for three to four years and we're having a hard time acquiring age product that, but we've kind of confined ourselves because we defined what products we want to work with and what audience and we're, we're trying to serve. And so, uh, that's where I would begin my journey in that. And then in the blending regard is this, you just got to start like, yeah. you know, just start taking different products that you have on currently. And, you know, like a weeded mash bill, a, a high rye mash bill, a high rye, rye, low rye, rye, and what do you like and what are the flavors that you're picking up out of each of ones? And then like from there, I kind of just learned what I thought would be a good base product to work off of that hits a lot of checkpoints for me. It's not overly flavored in one way or the other, but it's just consistent. And then from there, I would add in, you know, different components and see how they reacted to that base product. And then it's just a process of tweaking and trying and blending and just failing and, you know, figuring it out. That's, you just got to start. You're not, if you just sit around and wait for the perfect moment or somebody to teach you, it's, it's not going to happen. You just got to just start working with what you have and learning the flavors and how they work together is what I would recommend. So Ryan approached uh, some some basic principles, some a very important one thing being finding finding your base. That's something Seagram's taught, and like it continues to be like the main blending strategies. You always have to have something that's a base, and then everything else are kind of like you know, flavor additives. But I, I would say, like, look, if you are new to this, you you got to get experience, and there's. Uh, People are always wanting to get into the distilling business, and there's you know people all over the country that have companies now. Even if you just work part time, I would say get your butt in a distillery and start working and helping out with with operations because smelling the place, being around it, it's always going to to help you. So if you are wanting to start a restaurant and you have no restaurant experience, you are likely to fail. 
if you have an idea for a book, I get asked when people find out I'm an author, they always tell me they have an idea for a book. And I'm like, okay, write me 25,000 words and let's see, let's see how that goes and I can help you from there. And people are like, well, that's a lot of work. I'm like, yes, writing a book <laughs> is a lot of work. So if you, if you, you can't just like start a company and like not have any experience uh, with that company unless you're really well off and then you can bring the right people yeah. in. But like I, I the, to anyone who wants to be a blender or a distiller or start something, you, you've got to get in there somehow, some way to start learning. This is a great first step. But what Ryan talked about just on the basic philosophy, the only thing I could add to that is go to a liquor store find the 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 best available cheap product and then have that be your base like for me at home it's um my base when i'm doing my home blending is four roses yellow label and then like which is a blend of already stuff right <laughs> yeah it's right <laughs> you're, <laughs> uh, you're starting off with 10 recipes uh and so and then from there just you know just add a bunch of stuff but you fig- you figure it out but like if you just go to a liquor store and and, and play around but just know that when you start your company you're not going to get stuff that that's that's that good <laughs> no and no. and i kind of was generalizing a lot of things. Well, it, you I did mean, a it, great job generalizing. Yeah, though, it's uh, it definitely takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. I mean, Kenny and I have done over four hundred, maybe five hundred barrel picks, and you know, just right. going through all that process and tasting and learning what flavors I like or what barrels do to the the whiskey at certain ages or this part of the where or this and that. It's like it's taking a long time. Like, it's not just like I woke up and I'm like master blender. Well, and I'm not even a master blender by any means, but an uh, what's, what's something in the blending in the blending process from stage one to bottle that you did not anticipate? Gosh. Yeah. So what I did not anticipate is like, you're like, okay, say I'll, I have a, you know, my base product and I just want to add like a fruity component or a spicy component or a, smoky component or this or that and you would you're like well you know maybe 20 percent is what i want to do and you're like 20 percent just makes it like go way south <laughs> and you know and then you're like well maybe it's two percent and you're like i can't taste any of that and then it's like well maybe it's 10 percent. and you're like well, that tastes like shit and then <laughs> but then you go like start reducing it down or adding up and you're like and it's just it's a mag it's amazing how much like one milliliter or two milliliters of this or that will like completely change the the structure of the the product. Okay. It's uh that's what I didn't anticipate. I thought it would just be like, okay, I really like caramel, vanilla, sugar, sweet, brown sugar. I like that as my base. And then, you know, I want something to be thirty percent fruity and twenty percent spicy. So I'm gonna do fifty percent this, thirty percent that, twenty and it's gonna work out, you know, and it, it never works out that way. Yeah, and it, it's also trying to figure out when you're doing this, it doesn't mean that the most mature product has to be your base either. Like that's No, no. You gotta go with that's great point. You also have to like look at the cost of goods sold and like what am I working with and how what's this price point gonna be? And so a lot of times your base has to be a younger product that's the where the cost makes sense to where you get your cost down. You can't just have a twelve year sourced Kentucky uh, bourbon beer base because it's going to be so How about expensive. the easiest, easiest blend ever. Right, exactly. So the yeah, it's it's the nice thing is you got you, you pick out and you kind of define your constraints and that makes it easier to work when you have constraints because there's so much 
nuances and different ways you can go. So you kind of have to really narrow your focus and find the flavors that you're really trying to work with and the products you're working with. So it, it kind of eliminates all that. Cause we were talking to Brent Elliott yesterday and he's like talking about the limited edition blending that. And he's like, God, you could just never make a decision. You could just tweak it this way or tweak it that way, this way. And, th- and it just, go- it can always be better. Or it always, be- it can always be worse. And it's just like putting constraints kind of helps you like, work within those limits and create a, a good product at the end. Yeah. From a business perspective, you brought this up, you know, Stephen Thompson, may he rest in peace from Kentucky artisan distillery, formerly president of Brown Foreman always said that when he's creating a new product, he thinks about where it's going to be on the shelf first and that price point there, does he want it to be between makers and Woodford reserve or somewhere else? And he will create a price point in his head and they will blend accordingly to get to that price point. So we don't know where Jason is on his journey, but like if, um, you know, he's, if he's already been in the business for a little bit, I think, you know, everything that you said business wise is, is what to focus on. If, if he's new, I would say do everything you can to get experience and, and who knows, maybe you all need a, need a helper for the next time you are, you all are blending a batch and Jason can come help out. Maybe, yeah, maybe come, it's, uh, it, be a fly on the wall. Watch, yeah. just watch. It is and, interesting. And that's what I've done. I just ask people, can I just watch you and see what you do? You know, what's your process? And Does that ever get weird? you like, can I watch you? Or? Well, typically we don't just watch, we talk and yeah. <laughs> well, you know, but that's what we've done over yeah. the years. You know, we've, we have found ways to get ourselves involved in this industry. Uh, one way or another. So the other thing is, I, I also look at this from a very analytical perspective. And Ryan, you brought up the idea of constraints. And that is sort of the, really the, the place we have to start from. You've got to make those initial phone calls and you've got to talk to brokers. Oddly enough, as much as you want to try to go and say, I want to go down the new make path and start all this and talking to the distilleries directly. We were in a, a very advantageous position to be able to do some stuff like that because we had created these relationships before. But 90% of people don't get to do that. That is something that we just got put in a really good position to be able to do that because of the podcast and who we've interviewed. And the other thing that we did in regards of our brand of actually bringing them along with us and actually helping promote their brands. And they kind of saw the value in that. But if you're starting this journey, odds are you're either going to be talking to a broker or you're talking directly to MGP. And that is going to be your, your gateway to figure out, okay, this is what is available to me. This is what my cost is going to be. And as soon as you start seeing the prices of those barrels and you think, okay, well, I can get a two-year product for, you know, $2,000. Is that really what I want to bet the farm on and bet my blend on? Or do I need to spend three and a half to get this four or five or six-year product? And then from there, you just start keep going down this path to figure out, all right, well, now I know what my potential cost is going to be from a wholesale point. But- Nobody really starts figuring out, all right, well, what's that mean to actually get it onto the shelf? And that's where you have to start doing the spreadsheet math of everybody's got to take their cut in between. So you've got to get the, the 25 to 30% for the wholesaler, the other 25 to 35% for the retailer. And so the one thing that I think that people might be missing here is that sometimes you end up making the least amount of money in this whole chain of processes. But back to the, the start of sorting and blending thing is that, yeah, you have to start with those constraints. You figure out exactly what are the barrels that I'm able to create and what is available to me. If you figure out that the only thing available is four to five year Indiana bourbon. Okay. Well, how are you going to make yourself different? What's going to be your angle that makes you want to stand on the shelf that you've got to go and you've got to talk to distributors in all these different States and 
nobody's just wanting to pick up the phone and say, yeah, sure, we'd love to sell your product. Like you have to convince distributors to sell your product sometimes. You've got to have a story. You've got to have something that's different or unique. You're just not yet another MGP bourbon on the market. You've got to figure out what is my angle? What's going to make this different? So that's just more from the, the business side of things is that you've got to figure out what is going to be unique about my blend that's going to make it different than the other MGP bourbons or whatever else that I think the other thing that's get lost in this as well. We talk about MGP a lot, but here, just fast uh, forward. Ross and Squib. Yeah. Ross and Squib, all the Squibbies. Love Squib. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but in two to three years, there's going to be uh, a good chunk of Kentucky bourbon on the market because sure. this is this is right now we're getting into the point where there's investor barrels. People put down a lot of stuff in new make and they're not going to go to market with it. They're going to, or should I say into the bottling market, they're going to get it on the open market and they're going to try to flip it and get a, a good amount of money on it. So there will be Kentucky bourbon on the market soon. You just got to figure out, is that what you want to bet it on? And we can tell you all kinds of stories of, of the source market where you get kind of some, some horror kind of aspects of it as well, but we won't go down that. Yeah. Way. You just got to, that Malcolm Gladwell rule, the 10,000 hour rule, I, I find it to ring true in every endeavor that I've been a part of. It's like, it takes 10,000 hours to like become knowledgeable and good at something. And people just want to jump in and they want overnight successes. It just doesn't work that way. And when I was, and I'm still young and dumb, but I was even younger and dumber, you know, 10 <laughs> we, years when ago we this, maybe. when we started this and it's like, you want that you want that traction and you want this things to happen as fast as possible. But if the things that were happening to us now happened to me when we first started, I wouldn't have been mature enough or, you know, responsible enough or been able to capitalize on the opportunities that were given to us just because I didn't have that experience. And so now through the hard work and through the, the sweat and all not, we're able to kind of make the best of what we've created, but it, it, didn't happen overnight. It's just, you got to start somewhere and don't expect success. Always be humble and just keep learning and trying and growing. And then eventually it'll happen for you. So one of the questions from Jason here as well is kind of like, what are the resources to look into? So if you were to say, if I wanted to start a, a blending business, what resources would you start looking at? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, 
Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. So one of the questions from Jason here as well is kind of like, what are the resources to look into? So if you were to say, if I wanted to start a blending business, what resources would you start looking at? A blending business. Well, I mean, that's that's the thing. He wants to create a business based on the blend, right? Like, so what what are the resources that you do? I mean, is it like or is it, it just like straight up? Just you've got to go and have. So you want to have, be a have, contract have, blender for someone? No, no, no. I mean, he just wants to create a business that's based on blending. And I mean, maybe, maybe it's his own product, but is it just say like, hey, start off with one hundred fifty thousand and figure out where that takes you, or is it or is it or you 20, could go 000? to or you could go, you know, there's two. There's Moonshine University it has great, you know, classes like. They're not cheap, but they're not overly expensive. And so if you want to start with the $1,000 class, you know, you can do it. Moonshiners, they have a blending class. I've looked into it. For me, I, we're, we've been fortunate enough that the Rolodex of blenders we've worked with, it's, I feel like that's better to go learn from them. But, you know, somebody that doesn't have those connections, you know, Moonshiners U would probably be great. There's And there's actually a ton of stuff online about Japanese blending that I learned from uh, and scotch blending because that's like a big, you know, that's what they do over there. There's only Japan, yeah. there's only four, five or six. It's similar to here, but really over there, there's five or six major producers and then a lot of blenders. And I would go on, you know, I just go on YouTube or Google uh, and listen to people that blend Japanese and scotch whiskey, kind of get their philosophies and whatnot. There's there's so much on the internet that's free that you can start with there, but or you can go to somewhere paid like Moonshiners and then you know, that's just kind of what I would recommend. Yeah, and, and let's be let's be very candid. Blending is uh, up until recently, blending was a dirty word in American yeah, whiskey. It still is. <laughs> and it still is largely. And that dates back to like the Canadian blenders coming in, you know, devaluing uh whiskey on the shelf and and then like rot gut blends post prohibition being the only thing that people could buy. And so blend has a d- negative connotation in American whiskey. And so blending as a profession in the American whiskey circles is kind of new age. While they had always been in that position, they necessarily call them master blenders, you know, but the the true great blenders in spirits are in Jamaica, Barbados, Canada, Scotland, Ireland, Japan, you know. So if you really want to come to this and be unique, spend some time in Barbados with uh, Foursquare and learn about blending pot and column or go to Jamaica and spend some time at Hampton, somewhere like that. Like you want to, you want to really get into the esterification of what can happen in a blend that's different and you could bring something different to the table going back to like, Hey, how's this, how's this different? I mean, you, you could create an entire business model by only blending column distilled stuff with pot distilled stuff. Yeah. So blending only pot and column as you know, the two final distillates of those things and then figuring out ways to, to make it unique every single time. So that, I mean, that's just, that's, that's a, that's a resource I got for you. And I got one more thought that just popped in my head. One, another easy way to kind of start playing around with this is, and it's much harder today, but three, four years ago, I would go get, you know, individual barrels, selections of four roses, single barrels, you know, 
because you're only having the individual recipes. Oh, yeah. And you could start playing with those and figuring out, you know, which I'm going to create my base. This one's more fruity. This one's more the spicy. This one's more, you know, got the rice spice. This one's more mm-hmm. oaky, you know, and, and that, that was a fun, easy way to kind of like get the motion going of understanding the different recipes and how they work with each other. But obviously it's much harder now to go get that. That was when four rows of single barrels set on shelves and you could go pick out each different one. You know? Yeah. Plus you don't get the luxury days. of blending eight to 12 year old barrels. Yeah, usually or, on the market. So. Or you can, you know, just like say like a, a, I'm trying to think of a five-year single barrel that's picks that are very, but like, is it Ezra Brooks? Yeah, Ezra Brooks or Rebel Yells or the Remus ones, uh, stuff that's new ripped or they're available. They're single barrels, but they're going to be different and like get five or six of them and get different flavor profiles and start, you know, navigating your way through those and blending them together to see how they all kind of work together that's a, another easy way to go about and it because you have an opportunity to be able to try these that could but some of these could potentially already be on the open market right there's there's right. Been, there's been heaven hill barrels on the open market of course if you want to go get some foolproof from barton you can kind of yep. start playing from there then of course you're going to have some stuff from another place in danville probably in a relatively the next few years Very too yep. that you'll be able so to go get some wilderness trail single barrels and see how they work together and yep. whatnot. There's, so. there's no secret there that there's definitely some investor barrels that'll be on the market there coming from their source product as well. So I feel like we're gonna have to do a two episode. We've only got their two questions. No, no, <laughs> no. I think that's uh well we got we got time for another here. So ready to move on? Yep. All, All right. right. So this is coming from Donna from Barrel Proof Marketing. But he hasn't checked it out. Uh she's got a great Instagram page where it's literally talking nothing but marketing and bourbon. And so it's it's fascinating to kind of see but she wants to get some advice on social media. So what advice would you give to a new brand on how to build a social media following? Oh God, I have nothing. <laughs> I mean, I, well, it, I mean, we can all just take from our own perspectives and history yeah, on, it, on how this worked as well. But I'm not a brand, you know, like I, I think but you're, no, you technically are a brand. Mm, I mean, you, I mean, the yeah, Fred Minnick, what, Fred the re- is a brand, but the, yeah, the reason Fred Minnick is a brand is because you are you, whether people like it or not, most <laughs> people like it. And, uh, but you are you, and I think sure. is authentic. I think is authentic. You got to have to be a brand. You have to have a story that's real, something that people connect to. And then you just have to be you. You don't, you don't need to flash it up. Like you just authenticity. I'll gosh, I, authentic. Authenticity. 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 It's what people connect to. I mean, there's tons of like, like when people post in bottles that are filtered and this or that, and it's like, it's nonsense. I just scroll on by, you know, but like Aaron from Smoke That's Wagon, exactly I'm, just I like, go. I'm like, he's there in his ladle with his mustache and belt buckle and it's entertaining. And I'm like, he's just him and being him. 35 and rings on yeah. a big hat. He's cruising yeah. around Vegas, you know, the mountains. And, and you know, like, I think, and I think that's the, that I don't drives think he, home. I don't think he just made that up. I think that's who he is. You Whiskey know? has always been a, a big personality world. And when you see advertisements where it's trying to, you know, break away from the personality and, and reach a target audience that it's not capturing, and they transfer that over into their social media. I think that fails. The best brand I've ever seen, period, of marketing is Maker's Mark. Maker, oh, gosh. Without Maker's Mark is the, I mean, if there was social media in 1975, they would have killed it, <laughs> you know? But they didn't. They had billboards, and they owned every single billboard that mattered everywhere, and it worked. 
And so, like, I think, you know, before you do social media, your brand has to have an identity. You're ta- we're talking personality in some ways. And I appreciate that a, 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 lot of, a lot of brands are held true to their trademarks and things that they feel like they got to repeat and say over and over again. But people on social media don't give two shits about your slogan. Your personality and your brand identity has got to fit naturally within the fine, fine kinds of... Um, of social media and what Aaron from smoke wagon has done, what makers has been been able to do over the years, trying to think of someone else. That's you got to understand that this is, this you're, you're looking at two huge opposite sides of the spectrum there because Aaron is on his own with zero marketing budget on Instagram because it's $0 to get started versus makers mark, which employs, you know, they're, they're back in advertising agency that they've had forever. you, You had the Samuels family, you know, really out there, promoting it and pushing it along you know otherwise i don't i'm not sure that it would be where it was without them those are two those are two very different strategies you have one strategy is an individual driven getting people to become fans of that individual and then you have another grouping that is like they have lineage and they've been doing this for so long and they just fit very nicely here another great example is bardstown bourbon company they created competitions. They created sweepstakes. They cre- they did things, you know, collaborations, that, collaborations that they tapped into other other followers. So I mean, that's always a strategy that really works. What is very dangerous is when you see brands do giveaways, and we have private messages about this all the time. When we see a brand doing a giveaway, like that's against Instagram's rules. That's against actually federal code. And if someone gets the giveaway in California. You can get a class action lawsuit against you. You know, lots of things cause cancer in California, but not other parts of the world. (laughs) Uh, So you got to be careful if you're doing a sweepstakes and things like that. So, I I mean, there's a lot of ways to to get there uh, with social media. And there's this new way of like, you know, you look at somebody like Blue Run who has no personality behind it. It just like is about a butterfly and packaging and like a status symbol. It's like more of like a a shoe brand than it is a than it is a bourbon brand. I mean, the bourbon's great and the packaging's great. It's it's interesting what they and how they were able like to kind of how they were and it's yeah. it's very smart though because the the new consumer bourbon consumer loves you know highlighting showing off their bottles showing the beautiful packaging and whatnot and Blue Run's been able to extract that you know from that data from you know what's going on in the consumers mindset now and they've kind of built their brand on not just a personality, but a like almost a lifestyle, like a uh, persona kind of thing. Yeah. And I think the the other thing to look at here is that we have to kind of put our guardrails back on and says, if I'm a new brand, not, a, not an established brand, but I'm a new brand, how do I do this? I think there's there's two ways to look at it. And, and one is, it's how much money do you have? Because <laughs> that's really going to dictate how much you can put into marketing. And when I say marketing, that's everything from PR campaigns, actually hiring a PR person, photography. I mean, you name it, everything that makes it look pretty on the outside is is one aspect of it. If you're dirt broke, then really social media is the only way you get to go and you've just got to have the authentic personality or you've got to have a, a a newer iPhone that can use portrait mode, right? I mean, there's yeah. really... Uh, I mean, and, and really, you know, to that point, photography, that's, you know, that's one of my backgrounds in like uh, bourbon and sunlight are amazing together. So if you're a new brand, you you don't have to do a lot. Uh, you don't have to hire a photographer. An, an iPhone will get the job done. In fact, 
the iPhone and Instagram is why I basically gave up photography is because like you just couldn't compete. I knew the technology was changing to where it would be difficult to get gigs at a competitive level. And and like you get a Glen Cairn or any glass with the sunset wherever you are. I mean, that's that's a guaranteed yeah. beautiful shot. And you could work with other people like Whiskey with a View on Instagram that is it's not gonna it's not like crazy professional I mean, it, actually crazy good professional photography, but it's the bar of what you're going to cost is probably not going to be so astronomical that you're going to be like, oh my God, I could, it's, it, and you're going to get a great photo at the end of the day and, uh, and you get to collaborate with somebody in the whiskey community as well. I think, you, I think it just comes down to, you have to believe in what you're doing. It's well, humans are, we're, we're all connected to stories and we're storytellers. We love stories. It's like, and we love stories that we can identify and that we believe in. And so as a brand, you have to like, what is my story? And I have to believe in it. And I have to like, I have to relay that message to the world. And that's, and and try to build those connections to get people to believe in what I believe. And so that's, I don't know. That's, no, it's, it's true. And there's the other part of it of, of like, a picture is just one thing, but how do you convey it in text form too? Because if you're one of those brands and it's like, it, all it is is a picture of, you know, your hand around a rocks glass with the bourbon and it says, cheers to the weekend. I'm like, okay. Like what's <laughs> like, there's, there's nothing there that feels engaging to that versus, you know, one thing that I think that's, it's very hard to do is you've got to make sure the personality of, of whatever's kind of coming behind it. So even on our side, when we're doing pursuit spirits on our Instagram handles, granted, it's not me or Ryan sitting there all the time as being a face of it, but there's going to be some photos yet. The text is going to come through that is going to be more like our personality. Yeah. Maybe a little snarky, maybe a little, you know, kind of like, you know, it's something that, that kind of has that, that personality show through. It's so you've got to, you got to have well, some it's sort some, of. Because we're whiskey geeks, it, com it conveys like stuff that's in our world. You know, it's stuff that we're a part of and everything we could deal with on a day to day, day to day basis. We, that's in our story. That's in our marketing. Cause we, that's who we are. And that's, you know, that's what we try to convey. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I find that social media doesn't work if you try too hard. That's my my philosophy with it. I mean, I mean, I put stuff up, but it's, I don't plan on it or anything like that. It's just like, oh, here's a bottle, you know, picture, <laughs> that's up. That's it. That yeah. is true. You, you make a good point there when it comes to social media strategy. We've actually talked to different brands before and they have asked us like, oh, you know, you've been so successful on bourbon pursuit on instagram and everything like that how how do you plan out your posts i go uh, we we don't <laughs> yeah, there's, 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 no, <laughs> there's no plans I, but which which is different because we're not a we're not a bourbon brand i think you do have to have a little bit of a social media strategy centered around it and that could be things like activations with bars or restaurants that you're working with uh new products that you're coming yeah, out with connect like, with like bourbon groups and that's at the that's you important. know fundamental level is just yeah. you know there's a lot of new whiskey groups just popping up and they're trying to you know get in this you know in this space and make the name for it you know if you're a new brand it's what a perfect opportunity new riff did that better than anyone was that as the big boys were trying to narrow down single barrels they were like nope come on whiskey community we're going to offer you as many single barrels as we want and look how fast that shot their trajectory up as a brand so look up for those you know whiskey community brands that you can reach out to and nashville and, barrels doing it right yeah now, exactly you know yeah. And it's easily, that's one of the ways that you kind of work your way from the inside out, because what happens is that 
whiskey geeks find the find it first they latch onto it then it starts getting popular then they go and try to find the next thing yep. and so you're you're gonna be able to sort of ride the coattails for a little bit if you can if you can find those communities and work with them too i mean that's just not just for barrel picks but that is on social media i mean you can do things of, of having amas with other kind of I, I hate tastings you, I hate using the word influencers but i mean it truly is like you've got to find the people that are in the right social media channels and say hey let's let's hop on i'll send you some samples let's let's kind of talk through some product and see if your your audience is interested to learn more about it and kind of just build a relationship from there too. And I would say, I would say, don't, uh, you know, try to look for where other people are not. There's not a brand that's active on Twitch. Like that's you, very true. What's Twitch? <laughs> it's, it's a, it's actually a streaming platform mostly made for gamers. But oh, it's God. like, like you, you connect with that fan base there. And it's uh, huge by the way, like enormous. billions and billions of people and dollars that are thrown into it. Yeah. And so like, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities to take up real estate where other brands are not. Uh, I don't think anybody does Twitter well in in the bourbon brand community. It's just kind of like, here's our new product, this, but you know, Twitter can, if you look at like uh, Wendy's Twitter, w Wendy's Twitter is like- <laughs> I love it when those brands have those battles. I mean, it's great. And, and they, they should- each other. And they should be, they should be like uh, trolling us, you know, so the brand should be trolling, you know, people in the, uh, in the Twitter community just to have some fun. It's not mean or anything. Yeah. And the, the last piece of advice I will give you, do not ever under any circumstances buy followers right. because we will, you will, your engagement will be obvious and there's a lot of ways that we can find out if you bought followers. Yeah, it's it's almost like it sticks out like a sore thumb and you'll have some likes for a day. It makes you look good from a PR perspective. And gosh, I, I'm not going to name names, but there's some other brands that were like, oh, like the the most followed whiskey brands on on Instagram and stuff. And you look at it and I start analyzing it and you're like, wait a minute, this <laughs> nothing adds up here. 150,000 followers yet only 12 likes on their, on their last yeah. photo. <laughs> yeah. And just, two, it's, just it's not... like, look for, like you said, go where people are not. It's like, look for other ways, like other, you know, say influencers that are not say in the whiskey space, but they, you know, might have their, like a tentacle or something that might touch the whiskey space and where, I like can't tell golf, many golfers. Yeah, like or that, I know. can't tell many products I've been that I'm a, now a huge fan of that I just heard it on you know this podcast or that or I saw it on you know an influencer on that 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 was totally not even related to it that I just because I trusted that individual uh, I went you know and purchased that product. You know it's amazing. I, I'm I'm the same way. I mean I have I have a particular brand of something that I buy. I've probably spent. It's something we all use every day, and and like I just uh, I have to have it, you know. It's, it's the only thing that fits me, so it works. Yep. The last thing I want to do is touch on the, the channels aspect. Like, where where should you be? the The easiest thing to say is everywhere, but that's impossible to kind of keep up with. So you look at Instagram is probably one of the obvious because there's a, a big community there already. Facebook, sure, because that's where uh, an older demographic is. They can go and like it. They can see sort of what the <laughs> well, and that's, that's where that's those true. Groups I mean, are, you know, it's where the groups are, but mostly the yeah. groups are uh, they're not really sharing stuff that happens from a, a whiskey page into the community necessarily. It's it's more or less you know you have to be able to find the older demographic and find you know just kind of keep touch with those. Twitter is a little bit untapped, but Twitter is also kind of maybe one of those channels that isn't as popular anymore. 
Oh, it's, personally. it's very popular. Well, it's, it's popular. Just it's just hard for, yeah, yeah bourbon brand because it's not like a... It's not promotional. It, yeah, yeah, and it's not like political or controversial topic. People like to just get in there and like rant. <laughs> and yeah. so it's hard for a brand to be like, and, and amongst all the noise in there to, to get seen. You brought up a great one with Twitch. There's an opportunity there to be able to capture mm -hmm. that audience. I think someone could come out as like a streamer as a brand and crush it. Like Buffalo Trace you know, has done a lot of streams. Their Whiskey Wednesdays. And they've they've done very well with that. I, you've seen their social media grow and obviously established brand. Yeah, they already had 1.3 million followers I mean, they, on Facebook well. already. So it was, that was an easy one to start. But you know how many, you know how many, uh, how many social media sites of brands that I actually would tune into for that. I mean, like, I, I don't know who's doing anything. I don't, I, cause I don't care. I, I like, I, I just live in my own little, we all live in our own little world and brands are always like doing brand stuff. And that's not of interest to me. It's, it's, but with Buffalo Trace does their live streams. It's not brand oriented. It's that individual that's behind the screen. And that's why like Aaron is so fascinating. It's because it's about him and his story and I, I think Twitch, any kind of streaming, you, you can really build some super fans there. Yeah. I mean, there's already an established YouTube audience as well. So that's one aspect to go look. I mean, there's there's streaming that happens. To For now, there. there's always discussion of it's all going to go away. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it's there it's right now. Uh, and I, one platform we didn't bring up, which is probably a completely dem different demographic, which can be a lot younger, is Snapchat. Nobody's doing Snapchat yet. So that's also something that people could potentially Actually, look at. Actually, they had like some like, uh, there was some like industry data of like basically encouraging people to stay away from Snapchat well, because it was so young. Hey, that means that there's an opportunity there because <laughs> nobody else is on it. So if you're a first mover and you can make some make some people that, and that's it doesn't have to be a public thing. Like it can be something that just says, hey, follow us on Snapchat. And yeah. you could just be people that, it's the same thing as following you on Facebook. Like you, they basically subscribe and get your sort of RSS feed of, of stuff. What about Foursquare? Is that still around? <laughs> I don't think anybody's checking in places anymore. MySpace. Is MySpace still around? Yeah, but last thing to even touch on, of course, is the obvious of TikTok. Uh, we've talked to a few brands already. Nobody's really moving there yet. Rabbit Hole did some stuff at the very beginning. I don't know if they're still doing it. But it was a private channel. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think that's definitely that the demographic there is starting to skew a long way away from it was just teenagers dancing. And plus the way the algorithm works, it's going to figure out whether you like drinking, do you like bread making, do you like plants, like all this other kind of stuff. And it's going to tailor the algorithm for you. And there's already a huge bourbon community on TikTok. So Again, another opportunity. You are the there. bourbon community of TikTok. I, Come I, on now. I try. I bourbon try. TikTok over here. I started the, the, the downfall of it. But the other thing is, you know, we go back to Instagram and how they're trying to compete with TikTok is you got to look at reels because reels are the opportunity that you can go ahead and create those videos and it's going to mm -hmm. get native engagement. It's not paid promotion or anything like that. A lot of reels, since it's, it's one of those things that you look and say, there's not enough content. So what they're going to do is they're going to promote anything that's there. And so those are the particular videos that are going to get promoted really quickly. So it's an easy way for your brand to get recognized. Lastly, I'll put one more out there that I don't think anybody's doing as well is everybody might have a LinkedIn page when they just talk about their company, but nobody's talking about their product. And LinkedIn is a much, is, it's, it's completely different than what it was in 2011 and 2013 when we just were fishing yeah, for our CVs. Yeah. It's, it's a completely different uh, arena oh, now. Yeah. I've never. LinkedIn's powerful right now. Yeah. Being a business owner, I've never like gone in that space because I'm like, I don't need a resume or I don't need people yeah. coming to look for me at jobs. So I guess I'd, I'd have to revisit speaking that. Of, it's uh, the new Facebook right now. Speaking of LinkedIn, uh, Fawn Weaver of Uncle Nearest is in there and, and their commercial. 
So well, no, there you go. I mean, there's a whiskey connection there. Well, thank you everybody for all the questions. You oh, brought some. Are we done? We are done. For I this thought we one. had like five more or something. Oh, we do, but we can save that for another episode. We're going to do part two. We can save part two. We're in that new, I forgot, we're in that new world of we have to hit it right at a particular time. So I'll shut up now. People aren't happy. Yeah, but definitely thank you all for for doing that. If you have other questions, you can actually go and there's the form, the link is there and we could use it for a later episode. It's brbn.at slash consult. So bourbon.at slash consult and we can kind of take your questions at a later date but with that cheers everybody see you next week